Good evening. Good to see each one of you back in the Lord's house tonight. Would you stand with me, please? Let's turn to page 328 as we begin our service tonight. Page number 328. We'll sing all four verses at Calvary. Page number 328. Sing it out on the first verse now. Years are spent in vanity and pride. Caring not, my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me. He died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. By God's word at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurn, till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Now I give to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. Now my soul can only sing of Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. At Calvary, all the love that drew salvation's plan, all the grace that brought it down to man, all the mighty gold that God did spend at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Aren't you thankful for Calvary tonight? Amen. Praise the Lord. My brother John Ellis, would you open us in prayer tonight, please? Amen. I'm going to ask you to be seated tonight and uh, go ahead and get your ears open and listen to some announcements, okay? I know how it is when you sit out there, you listen to announcements in one ear, out the other, right? But uh, try and remember these things, write them down, get a bulletin, put them on your calendar so you don't forget things, okay? Um, Number one, a pastor asked me uh, to mention about men's recharge, all right? So uh, teenage boys, men, uh, if you want to go to the men's recharge, the cost is $70 if you're going to stay on the campus, okay? Um, if you're not going to stay on the campus in a hotel, please make note of that on the sign-up sheet. It's on the left-hand side as you exit on the outer foyer. And uh, just make a note on there that you're going to be staying in a hotel, and that's going to cost you a little bit more, all right? I think it's about $130 or so 
um, for the hotel. So keep those things in mind. That, the date of that is September 22nd and 23rd. So put that on your calendars and make sure and sign up if you're wanting to go to that. Ladies, you have a guild meeting this Tuesday night, all right? Ladies meeting this Tuesday night. It starts at 7 p.m. It's a soup and salad uh, supper, so make sure that you're here for that on Tuesday night. You say, I've never been to the ladies' meeting before. It's okay. You, this can be your first one, all right? Uh, so be there for that and join in. I think that's uh, senior high and up. Is that right? If you're a senior and older, is that correct? Yes, okay. Making sure to check with my wife here. So senior, if you're a senior and you're a girl or older, you can participate in that. That's at uh, 7 o'clock this Tuesday night. It'll be the first one of the year. Uh, don't forget, if you have a, a students in Faith Baptist School, parent orientation is this Thursday night. Uh, that's going to be from 6.30 to 8 p.m. And then I made myself a note here to remind you, if you have uh, students that cannot watch themselves, they're not old enough, you don't want, you know, you don't want to leave your, your first grader alone at home, please don't do that, all right? You can bring them. We will have a high school girls to watch the kids in the gym. But no, no students are allowed to be in that meeting with us, okay? So just keep that in mind. If the kids uh, need to be watched, you can bring them. If they can be watched on their own, you know, if they can watch themselves, they're older in high school, whatever, leave them at home if possible, okay? Uh, but that's this Thursday night from 6.30 to 8 p.m. And they're looking forward to next Sunday, amen? Not just because it's church and we need to be excited about coming to church, but next Sunday night, Brother Dave Hardy is going to be here, and uh, he is a great man of God, wonderful preacher. If you've never heard him preach, you're in for a treat uh, next Sunday night. And then to follow, we'll have our Linger Longer afterwards, so make sure and bring some food that you can share with everybody uh, and, and be there for that. We'll have a great time in the gym and things like that. That's all happening next Sunday. I did want to let you know that our first ball games for Faith After School, softball, kickball games, will be on September the 1st. So that's in uh, two weeks basically, but September the 1st, and it's at 1 p.m., so I know that's uh, kind of, it's kind of our kickoff game there, uh, pardon the pun, kickball, kickoff, anyway, um, but it will be uh, going at 1 o'clock, so if you want to come out and watch that, feel free to do that, and hopefully it won't be 105 degrees outside like it was today. I know it's maybe a little warm in here, but it's a lot warmer outside, so be thankful we have any air conditioning in here tonight, okay? Um, And then Brother Tim asked me to make this announcement as well. There's a youth rally September the 8th. All right, so parents, uh, grandparents, whoever, make sure you put this, teenagers, put this on your calendar, September the 8th. It's at Shawnee Mission Baptist Temple. You're going to leave the church at 615. So be here early. Be here about 610, okay, 6610. So you're on the bus at 615 and ready to go. And you'll be back a little bit after midnight that night. All right, so parents, they can walk home. Um, You don't, I'm kidding. I just know how that is as a parent. I have a teenager, and I'm like, man, she can't drive yet. Now I've got to be here at midnight. But it is what it is. We'll sacrifice for that, amen, for the teenagers to go hear some good preaching and things like that. So just remember that September the 8th, okay? So a lot of things coming up, and there'll be a lot more announced as the days go on. So keep these things in mind. Let's turn to page 440. Page number 440, a shelter in the time of storm. We'll sing again all four verses tonight. I'll let you stay seated for this one as long as you promise to sing out good and strong tonight, okay? Page number 440, sing it out with me. The Lord's our rock, in Him we hide. A shelter in the time of storm. Secure whatever it'll be tied. A shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, 
a shelter in the time of storm, a shade by day, defense by night, a shelter in the time of storm. No fears alarm, no fears of fright, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. The raging storm may round us beat, a shelter in the time of storm. We'll never leave our safe retreat, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, rock divine, oh, refuge dear, a shelter in the time of storm. Be thou our helper ever near, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. Amen. I was singing that second verse, no fears alarm, and I wanted to sing no foes, but it says fears in there again, and I just, I don't know. We still need to sing the KJV version of these songs. I, we, I know we joke about that. They always throw different words in there, but uh, anyway, we made it through. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Micah Quinlan, would you pray for the offerings tonight, please? Amen. Ladies, let's stand one last time. Turn to page 178. Page number 178. Are you washed in the blood? I hope tonight you can say, I've been washed in the blood. Amen. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I can't think of a better night than tonight to be saved. Let's sing it out together on the first verse. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in grace this hour. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? 
Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Will your souls be ready for the mansions bright? And be washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin And be washed in the blood of the Lamb There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb Are you washed in the blood in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And again, if you can't say yes to that question, let's, let's just call on the Lord tonight, amen? Get it settled. You may be seated. Great singing tonight. It has been great to have the Switzer family with us today. What a blessing they've been. Be able to take them on for support this morning. If you weren't in here for that service, the church did vote to do that. He's going to come and preach here in just a few minutes. We were talking a little bit this afternoon. We are able to spend some time in fellowship. And our paths did cross at Heartland. And uh, so I remember he was... He, the single students and the married students, they just don't get along. No, they get along. We just... They don't cross paths or talk a whole lot. Some of you Heartland students, you understand what I'm saying. So um, I was married at the time. He was not. He came in in 2003. 2003. I graduated in 2004. So our paths did cross. We kind of knew each other, but it was good to actually get to know each other today. And I'll tell you what, they are a blessing. Wonderful family. And so I know he's going to come here and preach. Just give him your undivided attention and listen to the word of God tonight. Let us speak to you. Right before he comes to preach tonight, uh, the ladies trio is going to sing. As we settle in the valley of regret A hopeless situation has no consolation And it seems that giving up is all that's left But we must take God at His word And have the faith to trust the Lord Knowing that He's not finished yet 
Uh, we would obviously love to have interaction as much as possible with as many of you as, as we can uh, after service. Of course, we have a table in the back. If you have not had a chance to uh, pick up one of our prayer cards, we have uh, ample back there, so you are welcome to, to take one. Um, and uh, we appreciate you. If that would just help you remember to pray for us, we'd appreciate that for South Africa, but just for the, the need of the world. There are, the, the missions is not, is not restricted to Uppington, South Africa, just like it's not restricted to Olathe, Kansas. There is a great world out there that needs the gospel. And we're thankful that we have the solution uh, in the gospel, but we need God's strength. All of us do need God's intervention and enabling to be able to get that message out. But appreciate your pastor, the opportunity is given uh, to preach this evening. So if I invite your attention to the gospel, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter number 19. Luke 19, and um, if you found your place, you're physically able, if you join me in standing in honor of God's word this evening as we read Luke 19, and we're going to start in verse 11. The context actually begins a bit before this, and we will consider that in the course of the message, but for our reading, we're going to begin in verse number 11 of Luke 19. The Bible says, and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return, and he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds, and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, Then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him. What was the likewise? Well, thou art a good servant because thou hast been faithful. Very little. said, likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man, Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up thy laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have received, required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. Uh, the king's continuing his explanation here. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. 
But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay before them before me. This evening, I'd like to address this, this question. His mission or your mission? His mission or my mission? Um, at, the end, at, the, at the end of the day, only one thing is going to really matter. I'd like to consider that this evening. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the time already in assembly, just the fellowship and the time, even the Bible study uh, earlier, and, and then just being reminded of you through song and just hearts are full through the day. Thank you so much. Thank you for your word, and I pray that you bless the reading and the preaching of your word tonight, that it would be communicated in a way that honor you and that we would respond to your word in a way that also would honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Mission or our, say our mission, my mission, your mission. Um, in our text, there is a very evident conflict between Jesus' mission, his objective, his purpose, and the mission or the missions of those around him. Think uh, in, the, in this account, there are various groups of people that he would be that he would be addressing even in this parable. You had the 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 almost you want obviously you want people to be under the sound of truth, but sometimes there are people you wish weren't around. Think of the Pharisees in this particular in, in time, and it's like they're always there to find something or try to find something wrong. They never succeeded, but they tried to find something. You have them there, and they had this idea, well, we, have, we, we need to maintain our, our power and our influence over the people, and, and we need to maintain the, the Sadducees even. We need to re- maintain our status quo with the Romans, and, and Jesus is just messing things up. He's, we're trying to discredit him, and he's discrediting us. Well, we know they were discrediting themselves, but they didn't quite see it that way. Uh, you had, you, but you also had a, a quite a group of people that were following Jesus that weren't believers in him as the Savior, but they did believe in him as the Messiah. Or maybe say this, a Messiah, a Savior. They viewed him as, okay, here's Jesus. We know he's from God and we can see from his works. No man can have that power unless God be with him. We see from his words that no, he speaks with authority, not like the scribes. There's something about this man. And they, 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 they would see his, his power and, and authority and how, and how not even the Pharisees could do anything or the Sadducees, the chief priests, couldn't do anything to discredit him. They said, surely this man is our, our hope for deliverance from Rome. They were thinking physical, not spiritual. They wanted a kingdom, but they didn't want a savior. And then you had the disciples. Well, you could think of the 12 that were there, but, but potentially also there have been others that were not of the number of the 12, but that were believers and followers of Christ. They understood who Jesus was, is. They understood that. By faith, they believed that. Was well, it not Peter on, on really an, as on behalf of, of, of the disciples, I believe, announced to Jesus, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the ones, you are he who has the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? They, they were, they were, in our vernacular, they were saved. They were believers. But they also had a mission. They also had a mission, or they, 
Let me rephrase this way. They had expectations about Jesus that were entirely off. They view Jesus. He's going to come. We're going to go, and he's going to purge the temple. He's going to clear out the corruption. He's going to get rid of the Gentiles. He's going to get rid of the Romans. He's going to establish his kingdom. All true. But not yet. But not yet. In fact, as, as their, their attitude is really exposed and where Jesus, and even, even in this context, in chapter 18, around verse 31 and through 33, 34, Jesus takes his disciples aside and says, here's what we're doing. We're going to Jerusalem. We are going there. We're going to Jerusalem, and here's what's going to happen when we get there. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of a sinful man. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again. Be, that's why I'm going to Jerusalem. To be the Lamb of God. On the, on the way to Jerusalem, not in this text, but in, 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 this, in, the, in the parallel passages, and, and as he's going to Jerusalem, in context of what is, what he's going, what's going to happen, when, he's, when Jesus is on mission, all the disciples can think about is, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus, when you set up your kingdom, who's going to sit on the right hand and the left hand? Who's the greatest? They, were, they wanted the kingdom, but they were thinking more of the glory that even they would receive as being his inner circle instead of considering his mission. There was lots, you know, there's a lot of problem in life when our mission doesn't line up with Jesus' mission. Now, I don't think I have to, I have to prove this tonight. I think we all understand this, that Jesus, the Most High God, the Creator, doesn't conform His mission to ours. He doesn't change His mind just because we don't like what He's doing. We think He should do something different. It's our responsibility to humble ourselves to Him. So here He has this group of people, and, and they, 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 there's this tension about this, about His mission, and, and, and it's, it's very obvious that that it's whatever Jesus, whatever Jesus is coming to do is about to happen. That, that was very obvious to the people that were there. The climax of his ministry is coming. And they saw, the Bible even tells us in verse 11, that they, their attitude was, and he, the reason he spoke this parable was because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. You know, he's going to Jerusalem. He's on his way. It's going to happen. The reason for which Jesus is here is about to transpire. And they were exactly right about that part. So Jesus speaks this parable really to, 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 to do this, to warn them and to confront them with their responsibility to submit themselves to his mission because they were going to give account of themselves for their submission to his mission. That's basically what is what's going on here. So he goes through it and, and he gives this parable, and we understand that a parable is, is, a, is Jesus teaching spiritual truth by using something that was very familiar, very common sense to them. So he goes through the, this, this account, and, and he says there was this noble man, he went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Here's his, and you know, their ears perked up, another thing, kingdom. All right, okay, we're, we're getting somewhere here. We're, we're going we're gonna to hear something, but he says, this noble man, which 
is, he's referring to himself. He is going into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. You notice that Jesus doesn't deny the kingdom's coming? He doesn't deny it. But he does say this, um, I'm going away first. This trip to Jerusalem is not the time. I have another trip to Jerusalem planned. That's not the message, but that's, that, that's the idea. I'm going to come back, but it, the kingdom's not set. So it's not the, about the kingdom. He's not really addressing his coming kingdom as much as this, their responsibility and how they respond to his mission now. So he calls his ten servants. And, and, and it is, is important to make a distinction here because in this passage, you have the servants and you have the citizens. There are two different categories. The servants were also citizens. Okay. They're a part of the kingdom. They're a part, they, were, they were those under his rule. The citizens, those that are going to reject him, they were also under his rule and would have given account to him, but they weren't servants. What's the difference? The servants acknowledge his authority. A servant acknowledges, you're the master, you're the king, I obey you. We're talking about the believers here. Talking about the disciples here. He's talking these servants here. He says that he called his servants. The Bible says he delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. So he gathers them together and he, he delivers them these ten pounds. This, the, a pound would be a, approximately three months' wage. So he gives each one this amount of, this amount of resources. And the same, each one got this, received the same. But I believe it's a, it's a key word there where he says he delivered them 10 pounds. Okay, he didn't say he gave them 10 pounds. There's a, there's a significant difference there. If I were to, or if someone were to give a gift, if I were to give someone a gift, the ownership, there would be a, trans, excuse me, there would be a transfer of ownership from me to the one that receives it. He's not giving them these pounds. It's not a, he's not transferring ownership. It's not that, well, these are, these are, this is my resources that I'm giving to you. He says he delivered to them. A word that we might use in, in our day to, to describe this would be the word entrust. He entrusted it to them. He, he, this is, these are my, this is my resources. And I am delivering them. I am trusting them to you as my servants. Why? Because you are, I, I am counting you, I'm, 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 eva- I'm, I'm considering you to be faithful and dependable enough to manage what is mine on my behalf in my absence. Deliver them this. And he gave them one instruction. Just one. Occupy. Occupy. The word occupy literally means to be about business. Not just any business. The master's business. Because he does not release them from being his servants. They didn't say, well, you're only my servants if I'm with you. No, you're still my servants. And he also is not saying, well, these, these resources are now yours to do with what you want. No, they are still mine, and I'm giving you the responsibility to take care of them according to my instructions, namely my business. Until when? Until I come. Until I come. 
Well, that, that, that's key because the next verse it says that, but his citizens hated him. The citizens hated him and said, we will not, and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over. See, the, the, the environment in which the servants were to do their master's business became very hostile to their master's business. But the servant's responsibility to do their master's business did not diminish and would not be excused because of the change in environment. We're not quite to the application yet. I think we can start seeing how these dots are going to connect. Because the master expects the servants to be about his business faithfully on his terms. And his terms were, till I come. Till I come. And so the, the master's gone, and, and they, of course, they, this, this, I mean, this makes good sense, even to the people listening. It's, well, obviously, this, this nobleman, he's, he, can, he, he is right, fully, he is fully justified to expect that his servants do his business with his resources. So the uh, Bible says he, he came to pass, he was returned, he received the kingdom, he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, to whom he had, because same thing that delivered there, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Now, it's, to me, it's interesting that he doesn't deal with the rebellious citizens first. He deals with his servants, which actually are the focus of this parable. He calls him and says, okay, I, I, I entrusted this to you. I gave you this, uh, this opportunity, this, this responsibility. How'd you do? What did you gain by trading, by, by, by doing business? What did you gain? Now, okay, we're, we're, let's just kind of consider the common sense worldview per perspective of this, of this parable. You have a businessman, he has a, a property owner or a CEO, and he's given responsibility to those, his employees and he calls them into the board meeting to give account of how their, their particular aspect of the project went forward. Is that boss primarily concerned about his employees' personal benefit or the benefit of his company? Okay, we get that. Well, same thing. He's not concerned about, primarily concerned about, okay, servants, how did you get on? Where, where, did you find it easy? Did you find people receptive? Did you find, did, did you, was it, was it too difficult for you? I mean, or do you have any, do you have any reasons why I, sh I, I, I should know about that made it impossible for you to do my job? No, he said, I want to know how my business progressed. So he calls them and the first one comes to him and says, Lord, thy pound hath gained 10 pounds. I start with one, now I've got 10. Um, that's a good return. Believe my math is right, it's about a thousand percent. That's pretty good. Wouldn't mind putting ten bucks into the bank and getting a hundred the next day. I wouldn't mind that at all. And then, wow, you'd expect Master to be really pleased. I mean, I gave you one, you gained ten. Wow, and he says, well, thou good servant, good job. Man, that, that's excellent. And you showed yourself to really be a good 
servant. Why? Well, gained 10 pounds. Is that what the text says? That's not the reason he was called a good servant. He was called a good servant. He says, well, look at it. He says, verse 17, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little. The reason he was a good servant, because he was faithful in what his master had given him. Have thou authority over ten cities. Well, and he's giving... He, he's, I mean, this guy's just getting incredibly rewarded for his service. Well, yes, it's a reward, but remember, he's, a, he's not, a, he's in the parable, he's no longer the nobleman. He's the king. He's received a kingdom. What does a king have? Land. Cities. That belong to him. Says, you proved yourself that you were faithful to serve me and to do my business with what I, the little that I gave you, here's what I want you to do. Here, here's, here's your reward. I'm giving the opportunity to serve me in a much greater way. Here's ten cities to manage on my behalf. I was like, say, servants, great, a good servant's greatest desire is to serve his master. Well, then the second comes. Lord, now you kind of think of, you know, this first guy goes up and, or thy power gained 10 pounds. I mean, this, 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 the, the, the commendation that he receives, I think the next guy in line, he's, he's looking at, he's got half of what the other guy has. It's like, oh, man, I'm kind of, I tried my best. I did what my master told me to do, but I just don't have as much to show for it as that guy. So he comes and says, Lord, nine pounds have gained five pounds. Now, here, if it, was, if, it, if it was any, you know, if it, if it was us or maybe in a, in a modern business world, you might say, huh, appreciate the effort. A for effort. Good try. I can see you try, just, you're just not as good as the other guy. You just don't have quite the skill set as the other guy. Is that what he says? No. Bible says, he said likewise to him. Likewise. What's Likewise. Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful and very little, he received the same commendation. Why? Because it wasn't the quantity of production that was important. It was the quality of their faithfulness. And so here he says, Well, thou good servant, thou thou hast been faithful and very little, have the authority over five cities. He also received more opportunities to serve his master. Well, then you have... The next one. You know, again, I would, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be a great story if it stopped here, wouldn't it? Well, the problem, but the problem is the disciples and we, while we would love to be that number one or number two, can so often more likely resemble the other. That's why Jesus, I believe that's why Jesus spends more time, a lot more time, on this one than he did the previous two. Another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound. Now, stop right there. I, I, I don't, again, I don't want to read into this, but it's not, that's not the statement that's the problem. If he say, if it had been a situation, Lord, I did my best to serve. I tried. I, was, I, did, I gave myself to be about your business, but I don't have anything to show for that. 
Remember, because the reward was not based on quantity of production, but quality of service. So it's not the fact that he only has, one, he only has the pound left. The problem is his next statement. It says, Lord, here's thy here pound, that, that, here's thy pound, here's thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. I kept it, kept it safe. I protected it. I didn't want you to lose anything. I protected it. I didn't want to risk it. I didn't do anything with it. What is... I believe if my memory serves, and I believe it does, he just gave them an instruction to do something with it. He instructed them to be about my business, to occupy. So it wasn't the fact he didn't have anything to show for it, it was the fact that this... He didn't obey his master's instructions. He said, I know what you said, but I thought better. And I didn't do anything with it. Well, why? Imagine the, the conversation here. Well, why did you do that? You, you, you knew what I told you to do. You knew my instructions. You, you knew my expectations. You knew I was coming back. Why? Did you not simply obey my instructions? Well, he answers. He gives him, he gives him the reasoning. He says, verse 21, For I feared thee. Let's just point out right there that this man is blame-shifting. The reason I didn't obey is your fault. Lord, <clears throat> It's your fault. I feared thee. I didn't think your expectations were reasonable. That's what he says. He says, thou art an austere man. You're strict, literally unreasonable. You're harsh. You have harsh expectations, and you have no, there's no reasonable right that you have to expect that I would meet them. He's attacking his character. Now, let's just, let's just for, for, it'll help us just in the understanding of what he's saying to remember that in this parable, the nobleman, the king, is our savior who has no questionable character in him. So he is way off base here. His accusation of the master is way off base. Oh, if he could just take the testimony of servants one and two, they found that their master was very good, very reasonable. He says, I feared thou art a steer man. And then he take, goes further. He says, Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest up that thou not so. Takest up that thou layest not down, reapest. I didn't do this because I didn't, I didn't do anything with your, your, your pound, with, 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 this, with, this, with this task. I didn't obey your, your command because, Lord, you take up that thou layest not down. It's a banking term. The idea is you, you lay down, you, you make a deposit, with the intent that you would take up again. You would take up the deposit plus interest. He's saying, you didn't deposit it. It's not your deposit. It's not your effort. It's not your risk. And yet you expect the gain, the return from it. On the other side, it's a farming illustration. You reap that it is not sow. You didn't plant it. It's not your seed. It's not your field, but you expect the harvest. See the, the shift in the, this man, the, 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 the skewed thinking of this man. He began acting like and thinking like 
what his master had given him now belonged to him. Excuse me, what the master entrusted to him now belonged to him. He said, this is my pound. Why should I risk it and do the effort with this when you're the one that gets the gain from it because it's mine? It's my effort. It's my life. It's my resources. You have no right to expect me to do something with what's mine for your benefit and not mine. Well, the master responds to him and says, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Well, again, just to pause there, he's, he calls him a wicked servant. What's the contrast with the good servants. Uh, it's clear he's, he's not saying that. It's not, the parable is nothing about the, the, who, who enters the kingdom. And, and, who, and it's not about, well, while these other nine, they, they, the good servants, they prove that they were really, in our, in our vernacular, really saved. And this man is exposed that he's not. That's not the case at all. Because he still calls him a servant. He's still a servant. He's still accounted by the master as one of his own. He's not going to face the judgment and the wrath that's going to come upon the citizens in just a couple verses. He was a wicked servant. Well, wicked and, and why is he wicked? In contrast with good. What were the good servants? They were faithful with what the master had given them to do. He's a wicked servant. He was unfaithful. He was disobedient to his master. He didn't, he was acting as though he was serving, he served himself instead of his master. Wicked servant, thou knewest that I was not steer man. Thou knewest that I take up thy lay, that I lay not down, and reap that I do not sow. Now, oh, just a moment, he's not, he's not assenting, he's not affirming this servant's accusation. He's not saying, yeah, you're exactly right, that's my character. He's not telling this to me, not, yeah, I, yeah, you know, you have a good point. I really am, a, I, I'm really unreasonable. And I, yes, I take, up that I, what I, I take up things that don't belong to me. I reap things that don't belong to me. And you got a point there. That's not what he's saying. He says, thou knewest this. The idea is more of this. If that is truly the knowledge that you have, is that is truly how you are operating, is that's truly the perspective that you have, and you really believe that, wherefore then, in verse 23, gave us, wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own usury. Saying this, if you really thought that I am so unreasonable as to require that which doesn't belong to me, shouldn't you have known that I would expect what does? Servant saying, you know, Lord, this pound, it's mine. You have no right to it. He's saying, no, the pound isn't yours. It's mine. It's my money. It's my own. And I have every right to expect it back. And I have every, I have every right to expect my servant to do with my own precisely what I told them to do. So he says, okay, take, take the pound from him. Tell the story, take that pound from him. Give it to him, the one that has 10 pounds. He says, Lord, uh, okay, but he's got 10 pounds. For I say unto you, that, for I, for I say unto you, that unto everyone which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. 
Everyone that hath shall be given half what? Well, think of a guy with 10 pounds. What did he have? Well, he had 10 pounds. Well, a little deeper. What did he have? He had, a proven, had proven himself to be faithful. This other one that had opportunity, that had opportunity to, to serve, proved that he wasn't faithful. So, here's the principle he's saying. Those that have proven themselves to be faithful servants are going to get more opportunities to serve. Those that have proven themselves to be unfaithful servants, well, they're going to lose opportunities to serve. Doesn't that just make good sense? Just in the world? If someone at a job place, who are you going to get the promotion? Well, okay, used to. Not talking about today. Used to. Who gets the promotion? The one that shows up on time, works hard, and works overtime without getting paid for it, and is, that never takes anything? Or the guy that you have to, like, you know, he barely, he always come in to work 30, 45 minutes late, and you always have to check his pockets before he leaves the shop. Who's going to get the promotion? Well, the guy that's proven himself. That's what he's saying here. My servants, I'm going to hold each of them to account, and I'm going, and they're, 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 they have a responsibility to do, and I'm going to hold them to account for how they did that. Verse 27, but those mine enemies, he goes back to citizens, but those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. There's wrath. Judgment, and I, I believe the master. Even in the in he, Jesus communicating, even this parable, the mercy of the master. Remember, it was it was very close to the beginning of the parable when they sent a message. They sent a message to him. We don't want you. It wasn't like a surprise that he came back and found out that they were in rebellious state. No, they he knew it. He didn't send his armies back. He didn't come back and, and immediately come back and render judgment upon them. No, he came back and he gave them that period of time he was away to, 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 re, to repent. And then even after he was back, he dealt with the servants. They had ample time to stay. He said, whoa, 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 we made a big mistake. Um, we know we had said we don't want you, but we've changed our minds. He gave them time to repent. They wouldn't in judgment. Because his citizens were also held to account for how they responded to who he is. He, was in, he, had, he entrusted his servants with opportunity to serve, and they were, they were held to account for that. He also entrusted great opportunity to his citizens to acknowledge him as king and to submit to his rule. And what great blessings and rewards there would have been for that. And they were held to account for their response to what he had entrusted them. See, this parable, the nobleman, is simply this. He's, he held every individual personally accountable for how they used what he entrusted to them. Amen. And Jesus is speaking to these people that, remember, they have a mission or expectations of him or what they wanted for themselves, and he had a mission and his mission is supreme. Amen. Saying, I'm warning you that you need to get on board with my mission 
instead of continuing on pursuing your own. Because one day, even if you may reject me now, even if you may push it off, even if you may find, make excuses for yourself, one day you will be held to account for how you responded to my mission. Well, what is Jesus' mission? Well, what is it? I believe context tells us. We're not going to take the time to go back through and read all the verses, but in chapter 18, mentioned referred to that earlier, around verse 31, Jesus begins talking about the fact he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to be scourged, he's going to die, he's going to be rise again. The disciples, they didn't understand it. They didn't understand it. There are several times in the, in the Gospels we see that, that they didn't understand it, and even, and even, uh, even, even sometimes they were even, the Bible even says they were afraid to ask him. That was hidden from them. Okay. The truth wasn't hidden from them because Jesus did not want them to understand it. The truth was hidden from them because they wouldn't ask. If he didn't want them to know, he wouldn't have told them in the first place. But see, what happened is what Jesus was telling them, what Jesus was telling them about his mission did not line up with their expectations of him, and so they couldn't figure out how what Jesus was saying matched their mission, their expectations, and so they said, well... I'm sure Jesus really didn't mean that. I'm sure we're right. Well, that's what happened in chapter 18. Then Jesus goes into, into Jericho. And in Jericho, you have, and the, as he's coming into Jericho, there's this blind man sitting there, and he hears that Jesus is coming by, and he knows that Jesus can, see, can heal him. And he cries out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Very key where Jesus, he's calling out to him, as Jesus, thou son of David, that's a title for the Messiah. The title for the Christ, the promised one. He was understanding this blind man, this blind man could see more about who Jesus is than the, than the seeing Pharisees could. The son of David, have mercy on I me. Mean, Jesus heals the man, and the Bible says the people, the people praised God, they glorified God. What power God showed, what power Jesus has, and they're all excited. You know, this, this is reading into it a little bit, but just seeing how the, the text's going to flow. It wasn't that they were convinced more that Jesus, no, he really is the Savior. No, they were convinced of this. Wow, if Jesus can heal a blind man, what power, what, what, what limits does he have? What limits do we have in taking our kingdom back? Because that's exposed in chapter 19. Because Jesus, in chapter 19, Jesus is going out of Jericho. There's a man in Jericho that, well, everyone knew him, no one liked him. He was really rich. Probably had a lot of friends when he was given big parties, but no one really liked him. His name was Zacchaeus. He's a wee little man. We know what happened. He wanted Jesus passed that way. He wanted to see, the Bible says he wanted to see Jesus who he was. He knew his life was messed up, and he knew, and he, and he knew Jesus could help. Didn't know everything about him. He said, I just, I just want to see who he is. So he goes, and he can't get, can't get, get through the crowd, so he goes and climbs a sycamore tree. Jesus passed, passed by that way. He looked up, and he said, I'm not going to sing it. But you know, he, he, he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Jesus stopped to give attention to someone that no one else cared about. Zacchaeus, come down, for today I must buy thy house. I hear Zacchaeus had a choice. Um... It's okay, Jesus. You're busy. Keep on going. Oh, I just really wanted to see. I wasn't interested in anything more. He had a choice, didn't he? Well, he made haste. 
came down, received him joyfully, received him gladly. We say, say, can, I, can I say it this way? He got saved. Goes back, but he goes back home. They go home and Jesus goes to his house and the people, the same people that just about eight verses before were praising God for his power showing the healing of blind men are now murmuring and complaining and griping because Jesus is going to be a guest of a man that's a sinner. You know, like, we're not sinners. No. He is. You get that? He says, this, and then Zacchaeus stands up and says, Lord, the half of all my goods to give to the poor. If I have defrauded any man, if, I, if I've done wrong to every man, I've taken anything that didn't belong to me, I restore it fourfold. He said, this day of salvation come to, come to this house. That's not the moment of salvation. That was just the evidence that salvation was genuine. Amen. He says, this day of salvation come to this house, for he also, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. What are you saying there? Salvation is available to anybody. Then he says this, verse 10. He gives his mission statement. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. What was Jesus' mission? Simply this, to bring salvation to sinners. That's it. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And as they heard these things, what things? I came to save sinners. He added, it's not a new topic. He added and spake this parable. It says, Be warned that you will all give account of yourself to me for your submission to my mission to bring salvation to sinners. Pharisees, be warned. You're opposing me. You're saying, we don't want this man. You can reject me. You can go on your life acting like it's like you've won, that you've got rid of me, but I am coming, and you will give account. The people, Jesus, we know that you have great power. We, 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 we welcome you in just a, just a few chapters. They're going to be lining the streets of Jerusalem saying, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They're welcoming him as their Messiah. But when he doesn't save them like they wanted him to save them, when instead he gives his life, they begin crying out a different tune, crucify. We changed our mind. We don't want that kind of Savior. Be warned. I am coming. But the focus here is on the servants. The disciples, the believers, us, who he's gone away and left us here to do his business. And he's going to get, bring us to account for what we gained, for our faithfulness to his mission. Well, what has he given us? I rephrase that. What has he entrusted to us? We're not talking about money here. What 
has our Savior entrusted you with? Let me rephrase. What do you currently have that has not come from him? Can we start with life? Would you be alive? Would I be alive if he did not give us life? Life is not given to us to do with as we please. It's been entrusted to us to present our bodies a living sacrifice to him. What about our resources? Our time, our energy, financial resources, physical resources. Everything we have has been entrusted to us by our master. Here's our problem. We all tend to be more like that other servant when we begin thinking of what God has entrusted to us as somehow belonging to us. So we begin thinking of my life, my money, my kids, my grandkids, my time, my plans. Think of us, not just for young people, but for all of us. We make plans for our lives. And say, well, somehow I'll try to include God. I'll still be in church. I'll still do this. I'll make sure sure I I include God in, in my life. It's backwards. It's not we live life and then try to include God. No, it's, Master, I'm your servant. What wilt thou have me to do? And then everything else should be the outflow of that. But, well, well, I couldn't really do that because what about this? What about that? I'm not, we we don't say this out loud. Here's what what, what our heart is. I'm not sure I can trust his character. And I'm not really sure he has the right to expect this of me. Here's the reality of it. One day, you and I will give account to our master for how we've used what he's entrusted to us. And there's only one of two possible responses. Well, thou good servant. Well, I'm not, I mean, I, that, I mean that, that's the type of stuff that, you know, think of like people like Aaron Judson or or missionaries in time past, or pastors, or the Apostle Paul, or someone that did some great things for God. It's not about the quantity of production, but the quality of faithfulness. Well, I don't have much. I don't, ha- I don't have much, and I don't have much as a result of that. Well, what you have has been entrusted to you by God, so be faithful to be about His business with what He has entrusted to you. Just be faithful. The production isn't his primary concern. It's your faithfulness. Well, the goods are because I've been faithful a little. Good job. You were faithful with what, I, with what I entrusted you to do. Or you had such great opportunities. Look at all the stuff, all the things I entrusted you. Look at all the opportunities I gave you. And you began thinking that it belonged to you and you had the right to determine what you would do with your life and what I had entrusted to you. 
instead of submitting it to me. I love you, but you've been a wicked servant. I don't think any of us want to hear that. But unless we make personal, deliberate, daily choices to submit everything about us to serve him and his business, what's his business? Same thing as back then, the salvation of sinners. That involves, yes, evangelism. That involves edifying other believers. That involves the priorities of your life. And that involves your prayer life. That involves your perks to walk with the Lord. Everything about life should be controlled by that. And if we all, we know, none of us want to, want to hear the, that wicked servant. We all want to hear the good servant. But unless we make those deliberate choices to submit ourselves, this is the only place we can go. The wicked servant. Because that's how we automatically will be. Right. Jesus is giving us a warning here. Because he is coming back. We're reminded of that this morning. He is coming back. What a joyous day that will be. But let's not, let's make sure that we are serving his business instead of ours so that in that day we will not stand before him with the shame of knowing we could have, but we didn't. So this evening, I want, I want to be careful with even the, this, this, this application as well. There may be someone here that says, you know, I'm not sure I'm really a servant because I don't know if I've ever truly received Christ as my Savior. Can I tell you, he's been merciful enough to you to give you one more opportunity. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Tonight, get that settled. I believe probably the majority in this room, I'd say by, by your testimony, say, I want to be a faithful servant. I want to be. I believe that would be all our desire. Well, it's changed. Let's go from just I want to be to... By his grace, I'm going to be. Not because I'm determining it, but because I'm going to choose. Lord, here am I. Search me. Sometimes, I, there's, there's so many times, I, we have, I have to, we have to go through, Lord, you, what areas of my life am I holding possession onto that I need to acknowledge as yours? Maybe that, that is where you're at tonight. Maybe just let's commit before God that I'm not going to let another day go by in my life that I'm living for myself. I'm going to choose to live for the one that loved me and died for me until he comes. Stay in this evening as we prepare for our invitation. Thank you for your